welcome to JudgeCast. My name is CJ Schrader. With me, as always, one of my co-hosts, Brian Prilliman. Hello, internet people. Hello, internet people. And also, as always, our co-host, Jess Dunks. Yes, yes, I am. I am Jess Dunks. Oh, you're not Jess Dunks. Wait, wait I might not be Jess Dunks. Oh. Who are you? We, we have royalty. Ooh, royalty. Yes. Royalty. The royal Lord, we, yes. Lord, Lord Commander King Joffrey. Uh, or, or also Jeremy Behunin from Utah. 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 Oh, is that how they teach you? Is that how they teach you to make an entrance in Utah? <laughs> it, it, We're it trying really to is. build you up, and, and you're like, hey, Utah. Yeah. <laughs> Announcing. I the fanfare for events. All right. You know what? Whatever. No, Just Dunks is not with us right now, and instead we have Jeremy Behunin, which it's good enough, I guess. I guess could be better. Hey, thanks, CJ. You're welcome. Ooh, oh. This is why people like Proman better. <laughs> no. It, really? They like me better? I don't know. Please send your loves, send your fan mail. <laughs> There's only two of and, you. So and, you know. yeah. and, cause, and because CJ and I share a, a JudgeCast email account, send the naked pics. Keep them coming. <laughs> Whoa, okay. But so. <laughs> it should it should be said that I have a cold and I have taken a lot of night. Yes. Just say it. Brian Pillman's hopped up on NyQuil, so. Hey, pass out at any moment. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> We're just snoring. Going in and out of consciousness as we speak. But hey, okay. let's dive into our judge news, shall we? Because we got a lot to talk about this episode. Woo, woo. Yay, Woo-hoo. news. All right, the first thing is the lovely people who run the judge stream wanted me to tell everybody that it has been taken over by Level 3 David Leifer Smith. What is the judge stream, you ask? It's a series of YouTube videos meant to help judges improve. It's pretty similar to Judge Cast, just YouTube videos instead. Uh, hey, Judge Cast for your eyes. He does. And mind. He records them. Judge Cast for your eyes. He records them live at 7 p.m. BST, which I had to look up what on earth that was. It's apparently British summertime, and that translates to uh, 2 p.m. Eastern. And who, Different in the winter? Who knows when Jeremy time. Uh, noon, noon, no. Noon. Uh, yeah, noon. So, but more relevantly, in case, I mean, you could do that if you wanted to catch them live, but you can also, they're also all stored on YouTube. So I will post links to both the live stream and the YouTube link in the show notes if anyone wants to go grab them. He's got some really cool topics here. He's got, yes. uh, everyone wants to go grab them. Yeah. And these things, these things take a lot of effort to to put together too. So this isn't any any non consequential effort that he's putting out. I mean, and this is I mean he's putting out something uh, a good service to the judge community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just uh I, some topics that we haven't over yet. Attacking and blocking. I don't think we we meaning me, Brian and Jess have not covered layers or how to cast a spell yet. Some other ones too, like uh why judge. I, I like topics like that sometimes too. Because I don't think the original Judge Cast episode on how to cast a spell, it, they're done recording that one. Yet. That <laughs> one was a long, long that episode. That was a long episode. It may not have finished. No, it's still going. Yeah. I think they're, I think they're somewhere talking about how to distribute for a lightning <laughs> bolt or something. Yeah, they're, they're, they're choosing where to do damage now. Yeah. Wow. That episode, for those interested, that episode is titled Longest Bolt Ever, and you can go find it in the show notes, in the, uh, archives somewhere. Archives. Should also be titled "How Not to Play Magic." <laughs> we have a, another little set of news announcements to announcement. There are changes to how, <laughs> how you become level three. <laughs> Brian Prillum and I will mute you. There are changes to how you become a level three. We're not going to go over how you become a level three in this episode because that's for another day. But if you uh-huh. are new, how there have been some slight changes to the rules effective immediately. Jeremy. 
read us the changes to the rules. Sure, sure. So the, the first change is you now must be a level two for at least a year. So no more grinding through the levels, hopping from, from, you know, one to two to three. I'd be really impressed though if somebody made L2 and then made L3 in under a year, like before this yeah, change. Yeah. Astounded at that. Yeah. Um, but maybe but that, I, guess, you know, I guess you I could think, try. I, I, I don't think there's been many people that have made it in less than a year. I think, I think Turner is the only one that's gone from two to three in about a year. Yeah. Right. I think he's, he's shy. Or at least he says he's the only one. I don't know if that's actually true or not. <laughs> Turner, but, grain of salt, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. but since they, but they removed the, they removed the waiting period from level one to level two. So I, th- I think this is, this is a good thing because it makes people actually more focused on the judging aspect than worrying about the ding. You know, that whole world of Warcraft. Gotta right. grind it out, get my next level. Yeah. Yeah. Because L2 is a fine level. To, it's a fine level. It is. It, it is. There's there's nothing wrong with L2, and I, we've all been L2s for years now, right? Uh, geez, I guess I guess I am approaching the years category. Yeah. Yeah. See? I hadn't even thought about it. They go by quickly. Yeah, they do. Yep. So what else? So uh, the next change is when considering L1s that you've trained, it doesn't matter if you've actually certified them yourself. As long as you've taken part in their training, that's good enough. Yeah, I, I like this one because uh, I have had occasion where I have gone through all the motions for someone who wants to be a judge, but then not been the guy who actually certified them due to, you know, right. schedule conflicts or whatever. Particularly because email is so easy to use for judges that I can be mentoring someone way outside of my area. Yeah, uh, I, I ran into this, too, with uh, Grand Prix Salt Lake. I, I did a judge class that coincided with ending right before the Grand Prix. Uh-huh. People could test at the Grand Prix. It was very convenient. Yeah. So uh, moving on, I guess. Bullet number three. The the recommendations uh, as your Grand Prix team lead must have been within the last twelve months. Now that one's a little. Uh, that's what that's one of the harder requirements to get to get that team lead recommendation because not only do you have to you know be put on as a team lead for a GP, which only about two level twos are. Per GP, maybe, yes. maybe that's all there are now. Yeah, two, two. And then you actually have to get the recommendation, so you have to do a, a stellar job. So that one's pretty tough. Right. Yeah, that right. one is really difficult to get anyway. Yeah. So let's let's say you only do let's say you do only let's say you do one GP a quarter, four GPs. Yeah. Okay, so you've got basically you're looking at one out of you know one out of eight. You know, you've got eight opportunities, but you've got you know a wow. bunch of a bunch of L2s also competing for that also yeah and then you have to do a good job so i I think it's even more than just a good job you've you've really got to impress the the head judge yeah i think that's fair yeah i I don't know that just doing a a good or adequate job is is well well come on man this is florida adequate job adequate job's not good (laughs) <laughs> yeah. What else do we have to do, Lord Joffrey? So next, your your self-review now needs to be written, of course, and then approved by a verification committee before you can start requesting recommendations. And, and when you say re- requesting recommendations, uh, part of the requirements for level three is you have to have a recommendation from an L3 or higher within your region, an L3 or higher with, outside of your region, and your regional coordinator. You need to have two of those Two of those, yeah. Yes, and then the team lead recommendation as well. Yes, so you have to do this self review before you start trying to get those other recommendations, and then have it. I like, I like, 
I like that. Yeah. A lot too. I think, I think almost all of these changes seem to be geared towards, I want to say slowing people down, but like getting them to focus on the right stuff. Cause I think too many people were just like almost working on it. Like it really was a checklist. And mm-hmm. then once they get everything, they were like L3 me, please. Right. It's like, no, all of this stuff is really required to just be considered a candidate to move forward in the process. And they take, they take, they take it very, very, very seriously. It is not a, Hey, I got all my little boxes checked. Hook me up, yo. Yeah. 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 It's, it's not even an, a, a means to the test so much as a means to be potentially tested and then potentially interviewed at that point. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. I wonder who this mysterious verification committee is though. Dun, dun, dun. Mysterious for a reason. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't behind. Uh, so the last change. Uh, is the request for recommendations must be made via email and they must include yourself, your approved self review, and you have to include your regional coordinator. Seems simple and, enough. And yourself, uh, your self review has to be on all of the, the, they've got like a bullet point on all of the attributes of, uh, of an L3 judge and you have to assess yourself on each one of those, which was not included in the original, uh, process or just said you had to do a self-review you know yeah but it didn't specify to what depth you had to do it at to i think it was kind of assumed that you were supposed to do it that way but i think now they've just made it clear because because they it used to say something about your self-review has to be you know reviewing yourself on the merits of a of a level three judge right It, it said that you you in your review you had to demonstrate or explain how you met these qualities yeah so I not think the depth of, of that though. Yeah. So no. now they're just much more clear about it. So one other thing in a, in a follow up, there was a, a concern that people who had already gotten recommendations, like they were in the, in the process of getting their recommendations and they had completed, let's say they hadn't done their self review yet, but they'd gotten recommendations. Yeah. And the question was, well, are those recommendations no longer valid now? And the answer, the answer was, uh, uh, so I'll just, I'll just read from Jeff Morrow. Recommendations you've already received should be fine. However, the verification committee will use some slightly stricter requirements when assessing those recommendations. Don't worry too much though. If a recommendation is found to be insufficient, we will work with the recommending judge to bring it up to standard. Basically, I guess for people who are still work, who are working on L3 and are kind of in this halfway in between process, you don't have to start over. You're not screwed. Of uh, your your recos should be okay unless the recos themselves are kind of nah. Yeah. So yeah. Short story: If you got a good reco, you should be good. I like that we call them recos record. now. Recos. I got some recos all over the place. Well, that's, that's the talking. That's the what talking? Nyquil. The Nyquil talking. That is, no, that's that's just what we call recommendations at work. Recos. <laughs> It's also it's also a new uh uh canned food from Chef Boy. I would eat it. No doubt. Delicious. Yep. It it is and salty. <laughs> so Brian, you had some news you wanted to bring up. I do. Hey, you know what guys, looking for something to do mid November, there's this wonderful uh Grand Prix in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh it's standard. You should come on down. You can play some standard. It's a Grand Prix, should be a lot of fun. However, things don't go so well for you i have found out that uh in the same uh conference center in the same convention center miss south carolina 2013 so ow hey 
what's that? Ow! During the same during the same weekend as GP Charleston, Miss South Carolina, 2013. Also, I should point out there will also be Miss Teen South Carolina the same weekend as Miss South Carolina. Don't get those mixed up. <laughs> Sounds like a recipe for disaster. Yeah, it's it's uh yeah. Don't don't yeah. mix those up because one is fine, the other not so much. Well, that's exciting. That is yeah. the NyQuil talking. <laughs> so I want to go over a couple of clarifications from our previous couple of shows, mostly because uh, in particular the episode with Toby Elliott, the audio was pretty funky. And I just want to go over some clarifications because I think some people may have misunderstood what we were saying there. One comes from an email from Sergio Piega. Piega. He believed that we had said that detain will not stop a mana ability, but in fact, Detain will stop a mana ability. However, almost every card with Detain says that it can only target a non-land ability, how, or non-land permanent. However, it could target something like a key rune or something. And if you Detain a key rune, then that key rune cannot tap for mana, right? That's exciting. We also mm-hmm. got another one from Brian Thomas, who... He believed that we had said that Cyclops uh, Gladiator was a detrimental trigger. And let me read Cyclops Gladiator again. Whenever Cyclops Gladiator attacks, you may have it deal damage equal to its power to target creature defending player controls. If you do, that creature deals damage equal to its power to Cyclops Gladiator. That is not detrimental. That is a very good trigger. That is something you would want to happen. So if somebody forgets their Cyclops Gladiator trigger, we would not give a warning. We would just, well, we'd ask the opponent if they want to put it on the stack. They probably don't. Well, maybe they do. I could see them wanting to here. But even if they did, it's a May, so. Anyway, those are the two quick. Well, my stuffy doll. What about stuffy doll? Are you asking if stuffy doll is detrimental or not? No. Oh, if the, if the Cyclops could hit my stuffy doll. Oh. We're not supposed to take game count, game state yeah. into account. Correct. Although, stuffy doll's awesome. And if I did see someone playing a stuffy doll, they might get a high five. Not, not, not a competitive though. <laughs> Not a competitive. (laughs) Not a competitive. All right, so let's move on into our main topic, which was kind of a a fun topic that Brian came up with, which is basically we're just going to sit here and ask each other the kinds of questions. These are the kinds of questions that you might see at a GP, particularly of a level two, just hanging out, talking to a level one, just running rules questions by them. We're just going to go through some amount of questions here. The only real rule to them was that they had to involve Return to Ravnica in some way, which mostly means they just have some Return to Ravnica card. So this episode's going to be a little bit of a a potpourri episode. A potpourri. Yeah, like in Jeopardy, the potpourri category is just random, whatever. Isn't it potpourri? Probably. I believe it is. Somebody with as many dolls as you have should know that. I have zero dolls. Okay. A potpourri. (laughs) I bought bought them all. True story. Yes. Yeah, that is a true story. <laughs> that is a true story. I bought I bought all of them for sixty dollars, which is a fine deal. Go to the show notes. Just I I haggled with him. He was like, I want seventy five, and I was like, I'll give you sixty, and he's like, sixty five, and I'm like, sixty, or you have to keep your silly dolls, and he was like, fine, on one condition. I was like, what's that? And he's like, I don't ever see these dolls again. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Not- I don't. I don't take any of them back with me. That's the- I accept your terms, sir. <laughs> hey, you paid uh, less than half of what I paid, so. Well, yeah, but I ended up just leaving them around the place for people to find. Sure. All right, so. You know- <laughs> So Brian, that was the most awkward. That was the most awkward elevator ride down uh, in the hotel that morning. Well, even carrying them in every floors, every two floors, it stopped. People walked on the elevator and just saw us with these big boxes of dolls. So, <laughs> what's the dolls lost in bed? 
two more floors, more people walk on. That's a lot of dolls you got there. <laughs> Off the bed. <laughs> what, what can I say? I love, I love me some dolls. All right, so let's get all right, Brian, all right, all right. track. Brian has a ton of questions that he wrote up. I have a few questions that I wrote up. Jeremy has like no questions, like totally unprepared. Lord Joffrey. I'm a lord. I don't have to prepare for things. All right. We may, right. Hey, we, may your <laughs> we may have grabbed Jeremy literally five minutes before we started recording. So he may oh, fine. Go with the truth. He can get a pass on this one. Yeah. Well, he also should be able to like quick, quick mix them up. Yeah, I thought you were good. Uh, that'll teach you to think. <laughs> oh, I mean, oh. yes, maybe, maybe I'll think some up. Brian, throw a question at us. <laughs> Seems to me that he's got your number. All right. Uh-oh. So... Here we go. Um, I gotta do these in order. Nancy blocks with an animated Azorius key rune. Okay. So as, as with, uh, the standard on our questions that we ask, uh, non-active player has a tendency to have names that start with an N. So if you take, if you take the, uh, the judge test and you're like, Hey, who has all these weird names? Active player's name always starts with an A. Non-active player's name always starts with an N. So Abel or whatever, or Artemis in this example, attacks with, uh, a random whatever. Okay. Uh, Nancy animates. Animates her Azorius key rune. Uh, it becomes a 2-2 white and blue bird artifact creature with flying until end of turn. Okay. And then after combat damage, the key rune's still alive. Artemis casts Arrest on the key rune. Okay. And Arrest is an aura, uh, that reads, uh, <laughs> Enchanted creature can't attack or block and its activated abilities can't be activated. It keeps giving me for some reason, the card keeps giving me, uh, uh, Azorius Arrestor, and I'm like, this is, <laughs> this is miserable. Alright, yes. Enchant creature, enchanted creature can't attack or block, and its activated abilities can't be activated. So, the question is, on Nancy's turn, can she tap the key rune for mana? Why, why not? Jeremy, you wanna tackle this one? Oh, sure, sure. The, the key rune will not, not tap for mana, because that ability is still an activated ability, even though it is also a mana ability. Yeah, it's actually not too different from my the detain clarification I just said. Sorry to ruin your thunder, Brian. What's that? It's not. It's, it's not different. Just spoil the question. Well, so let me ask you this: the key rune at the end of turn doesn't it stop being a creature? Yes. Oh, it does. Right. So what happens to? The arrest. Your arrest just fell off, goes to the graveyard. Right, but your question had it on Nancy's turn. Well, yeah. Okay. So it's Nancy, Nancy's non-active player, she blocks, she animates. Yeah. Okay, so it's Artemis. Oh. Oh, so on the next. Okay. Okay. Look at this, this was a really good question. The drunk guy stumps the L2s. Not really. The first time I read it, I was like, oh, rest is just going to fall off. Clever. But then I was like, oh wait, Nancy's turn. Well, we're already in Nancy's turn because she's blocking, right? Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. It's your turn yes. when you're blocking. You know, whatever. You win this round. So, Trixie. Yes. Plus so, one so when, All right. So when does the arrest fall off? Let's let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. All right. So so specifically, um, the Zorius Key Rune has an ability that says, you know, it becomes a two-two white bird artifact creature with flying until end of turn. It's also blue. Okay, sure. <laughs> Whatever. You win this round. <laughs> sure. So what happens is then we get when we get to the cleanup step. The first thing you do in the cleanup step is you discard your card. The second thing that happens during the cleanup step is 
All damage gets removed from creatures and all effects that last until end of turn or, or anything that have a duration that lasts this turn, they end. Okay. So during cleanup, the Azorius Key Rune will stop being a bird artifact creature and start being a, a mana rock. Alright. Then normally you don't get priority during cleanup. Okay. No, normally no one gets priority during cleanup. You just discard your card. Unless. Go. Unless triggers are waiting to go on the stack or state-based actions happen. Now, in this particular case, we have an artifact that is enchanted by an enchantment arrest with enchant creature. It's no longer, uh, that enchantment can no longer enchant that artifact because it's not a creature anymore. So state-based actions say, get rid of that. Yeah, this aura needs to go to the graveyard. Yep, so you just pick it up, put it in the graveyard, and when Nancy starts her turn, she's got a key rune free and clear. That question uh, actually had a lot more had a lot more going for it than it seemed at first. Yo. Yes, yes. That was some good information on the cleanup step. Oh, and then mm-hmm. both players would give priority because we did something with a state-based action. I don't know if you noticed this, but when we go through all of my questions, all of my return to Ravnica's cards start with the letters A through E. I <laughs> I sent some some questions off to uh, my staff for a, a PTQ coming up soon, and and I had the same thing where I, I was just looking through cards at the beginning. Yeah, and I just I just used those. So yep. I'll ask one of mine, even though I don't have as many as you. Abby casts Farseek and finds a Steam Vents, one of the Shocklands. It's the Island Mountain one. She chooses to pay two life as it enters the battlefield. Does it enter untapped? So Farseek says, search your library for a plains, island, swamp, or mountain card and put it on the battlefield tapped. Then shuffle your library. And Steam Vents, if it matters, is as Steam Vents enters the battlefield, you may pay two life. If you don't, Steam Vents enters the battlefield tapped. So I guess the first question is, can she even find Steam Vents with Farseek? Didn't this come up when Ravnica came out the first time? Probably. Yeah, I, I recall these interactions, and, and they're always fun. You know, the uh, the the Farseek player can go find this land, and then they pay their two life, thinking it'll come in untapped because the land says it can, right? But then the judge Actually, makes it bad because Farseek says put it into play tapped. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's it's coming into play tapped regardless. Yeah, it's coming. Yes. Whether or not you pay the two. If you pay the two, you just bolted yourself for for the lulls. Yeah, right. you, people seem to believe like people seem to believe that Steam Vents reads something like Steam Vents enters the battlefield tapped, and then as it enters the battlefield, if you pay two life, it comes into play untapped, which is not how it works. It's it's the opposite. It's as Steam Vents enters the battlefield, you pay two life, and then if you don't do that, it enters tapped. So paying two life does not get you around other things that may make it enter the battlefield tapped. So in this case, it's just a bad bet to do it. Yep. Farseek will will override that every time. Yeah, or Primeval Titan or all that stuff. Right. And the the other the other thing, the, I guess the important thing is since since Farseek doesn't say basic, like it doesn't say basic island, basic land, basic whatever, or basic uh was it everything but a forest, plains, yeah. then you can go get you can go get any land with the the with those subtypes, with those land subtypes. Yep. And also since it doesn't say non forest, you can get, actually get any of the shock lands. With Farseek. Now, what if I have out Urborg Tomb of Yogmoth? So all my lands are swamps. <laughs> Does that mean I can go get any land out of I can go search my Cabal coffers and pull that out with uh with Farseek? Because it's a swamp, right? No. What? Only Urborg. No. Tomb of Yogmoth, not to be confused with the other Urborg, which removes first strike. Urborg Tom- Tomb of Yogmoth. Doesn't it also do landwalk too? Only 
I don't know. It only affects lands that are on the battlefield, because generally every ability only affects things that are on the battlefield unless they say otherwise or it doesn't make sense otherwise like like um Yixlid Dra- Jailer says you know was creature cards in your graveyards lose all abilities or cards in your graveyards lose all abilities all cards yeah yeah obviously that one works in your graveyard because that's what makes sense yeah reward <laughs> removes first strike and swamp walk a you're drunk right now b let's go on to your next question <laughs> All right, so here's here's a fun one. I cast Epic Experiment. All right, and I just so I'm I'm flipping over a bunch of cards. Uh, Epic Experiment reads: Exile the top X cards of my library of your library for each instant or sorcery with converted mana cost X or less among them. You may cast that card without paying its mana cost. Then put all cards exiled that way that weren't cast into your graveyard. So let's say you cast X with like ten. So you're, you're flipping over and revealing and exiling 10 cards. Okay. And one of the cards that you reveal is Reverberate. Okay. And Reverberate, uh, is for red, red, copy, target, instant, or sorcery spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. The question is, can I reverberate that epic experiment? And what happens if I do? Ooh, ooh, I know, I know. Okay. Go for it. Okay. All right, so you can cast the reverberate and target the epic uh, epic experiment. Ah, get that card's name. But by the time reverberate tries to resolve, the epic experiment is already finished resolving and gone. It's removed from the stack. What? So what happens? Your reverberate's uh, countered for lack of a legal target at that point. Oh man. Yeah. So you can target because you're actually casting reverberate. In the middle of resolving Epic Experiment. Epic Experiment is on the stack. It is a legal target for Reverberate. Yep. It's one of those weird times you get to cast things during resolution of something else. Yep. But it doesn't actually go on the stack until uh, everything's done resolving. Uh, we had this discussion, and I don't think I agree with that. No? It goes on the stack right away? I don't see why it doesn't. Remember, we talked about this uh, on our rules review show, but I think none, neither one of us is sure. Do you know, Jeremy? Uh, I believe it goes on the stack right now. You're casting it. Yeah, you're casting it. Okay. I see no reason why it wouldn't. Oh, uh, maybe it's just triggers then. Whatever. Yeah. I'm drunk. Oh, That's what I'll claim. Yeah. Triggers will definitely wait, but you're casting this. It'll it'll be added to the stack as the first step of casting it. Yeah, I agree. So let me... <laughs> Let me ask my question. Brian, you could have just used that drunk thing. What? You're just gonna I just that. woke up. <laughs> yeah, I just woke up. What else? I just woke up. I uh, saw so much NyQuil. NyQuil, NyQuil, NyQuil. It forgot, forgot, forgot. <laughs> All right, here's mine. This one is uh, from the FAQ. It blew my mind when I read it. Abby attacks with Wild Beastmaster. In response to the Beastmaster trigger, Nate dismembers it. What happens when the trigger resolves? So... Wild Beastmaster reads, whenever Wild Beastmaster attacks, each other player or creature you control gets plus X plus X until end of turn where X is Wild Beastmaster's power. Dismember reads, target creature gets minus five, minus five until end of turn. And she's a one one, naturally. So what happens? She gets, they get, uh, minus three, minus three, don't they? Minus four, minus four would be the math. Minus four, or minus four, right? Oh, yeah. cause is Dismember minus four, minus four, minus five, minus five? Minus five, minus five. Okay, yeah, then it would be minus. Uh, minus four, minus four. Yeah. Math hard. Aww. Math hard. Hey, man, I thought Dismember was minus four, minus four. Yeah. It's fine. But, it's fine. you guys, I don't understand. I mean, she's dead, so don't we use the last known information, and wasn't she a 1-1 when she was last on the battlefield? She was actually a minus three, minus, uh, minus four, minus four. What? Still doing, still doing that bad math. <laughs> right. Yeah, because hey, that's, that's, yeah. that's, 
because state-based actions, they evaluate, oh, her toughness is less than zero. Yeah. Uh, her toughness at that point in time after dismember resolves is she's a minus four, minus four. Yeah. No, that's, that is perfect. Yeah. You just somehow tricked that player into probably killing most of his team. And whoever you didn't kill is still attacking, so doesn't look good for them. Unfortunately, it's not very easy to get that, get that off. There's like only that Equus Steed or something that gives minus two, minus zero. In uh, in Ravnica sealed, but one day I want to blow someone out with this with this little trick. Well, that'll be that'll be great. It will be great. So all all you have to do is have a dismember in your hand. So since that's since that's new for Exe, you got to be playing a modern deck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they have to be playing Wild Beastmaster. And they have to be playing Wild Beastmaster. Or or just Tragic Slip, right? That's that's closer to. <laughs> oh yeah, Tragic Slip. Yeah, Tragic Slip with something dead. You know, a, a reverse of it is you could attack with her and then um, Augur Spree, which gives plus four minus four her. And even though she would die, her power as it last existed on the battlefield was a she was a five negative three. So all your creatures would get plus five plus five. That's not too bad. Ah, there you go. So if you're playing, go Jund. Black, yeah, exactly. Brian, throw another one at us. All right. I have a Codex Shredder. And what is a Codex Shredder? Yes, what is it? A Codex Shredder is a thing that shreds Codex. No, it oh. is an artifact. Okay. And it has uh, two abilities. The first ability is m- not relevant for this question. The second ability is five tap, sacrifice Codex Shredder, return target artifact from your graveyard to your hand. The question is, can you retrieve Codex Shredder with its own ability. It depends. Are you playing on Moto or not? I am playing in the world of paper magic. Oh, all right then. Well, the answer in- is no. Does the answer change if you're working on Moto? Yeah. Does it let Are you uh, serious? Moto? I, I, I have heard rumors of a bug on Moto that will let you do this. Oh, why uh, would anybody, first off, why would anybody want to? Well, they've, they've been doing it with um, Solemn Simulacrum and Trading Post, where you can sacrifice the Solemn to pay for the, the cost of Trading Post and get the same Solemn back to your hand. Ooh. So let me explain why you can't do this and why MTGO may be bugged. The first step of activating an ability is to put it on the stack. It's just like casting a spell. The second step is to declare targets. Or, well, close enough. One of the next things you do is choose targets for the ability. One of the final things you do is actually pay all the costs for the ability. So what that means that in then is that the codex is not in your graveyard at the time you are choosing targets for the codex. Correct. Yay. Yay. Also, also, you're right about the, the, the rules stuff involving Epic Experiment. 608.2F. Oh, cool. Yes, if an effect instructs, specifically instructs or allows players to cast a spell during resolution, he or she does so by putting that spell on top of the stack, then continuing to cast it by following the steps in blah 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 blah. Brian, throw another one at us. What? Oh, man. Come on. All right. So I have, because I like playing Jund. Who doesn't? Yeah. I am casting a Golgari charm. And I am opting to give all cre- all creatures get minus one minus one. So Golgari Charm is a is a one green one black instant. Choose one. All creatures get minus one minus one until end of turn, or destroy target enchantment, or regenerate each creature you control. All right. So what I want to do is I wanted to completely wipe out my opponent, and I want to give all of his dudes minus one minus one. And destroy uh, uh, his 
Gaia's Anthem, which gives all his creatures plus one, plus one. Okay. So I'm going to cast my Golgari Charm, choosing the mode, all creatures get, get minus one, minus one until end of turn. Okay. I'm then going to cast Reverberate, targeting the Golgari Charm. Okay. Can I use that copy to destroy the Honor of the, I'll say Honor of the Pure. He's being a little white weenie token deck. Honor of the Pure. All right. I don't know. Can he, Jeremy? Uh, reverberate targeting Golgari charm. Hmm. So we're making a copy, which means I'm not actually casting it. So we just copy it as it exists on the stack, which includes all the choices that were made for it. Uh oh. Oh. Oh no. So wait, I'm now giving all creatures, uh, minus two, minus two until end of turn? Yes. All my grizzly bears are dead? Yes, all your bear cubs. Bear cubs. No more bear cubs for you. Every one of them. No, blown out. Oh well. So bad. Now you should have played Wild played Beastmaster. Him. Yeah, you should have. I should have played what? What? Wild Beastmaster. I should have. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Here's all here's, right. here's here's one. Here's one. Gerard's orders. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I cast Gerard's orders and. Uh, which says, uh, search your library for up to two creature cards and reveal them. Put one of them in your hand and the other into your graveyard. Then shuffle your library. You search through your library and you find only one dude in your, in your whole library. Do you get to pick one? Well, no, you got, you got a whole bunch in your library, you know, but it's all like lands and stuff like that. Mainly because your graveyard is crazy full and, uh, let me see here. Let me go look and see if this if this will work. Yeah. So what you got is you want to you you search your library because your graveyard's almost em- or your your library is almost empty. Your graveyard's really really full. You search your library with Gerard's order. You're gonna go get Ulamog or one of the big legendary Eldrazi because you wanna drop him in your graveyard and then shuffle your your graveyard back into your library. Okay. So does that work? Does that work or no? Can I do that? No. You don't get to choose. I don't get to choose. You have to do the you have to do the instructions in the order written. So the first order the first instruction is put one into your hand and then the second instruction is put the other into your graveyard. Sure. But I didn't I only got two, so or I only got one, so you know, obviously I can't do both. So I'll just put the one in the graveyard. You gotta do it in the in, in the order written. But it's Brian's spell, he should get to choose, right? It's my spell. No. It's like oh. stuff that goes on the stack. You know? No, you still don't get to choose. You're right. You're well, you're right. And it's also the same way with, uh, with cultivate as well. Yes. Yeah. So if, if, uh, you search your library for the two basic lands, you put one on the battlefield tapped and the other in your hand. If for some reason you only have one basic land, that's the one that's going into play. You can't, for whatever reason, choose to put that one into your hand. Yeah. Yep. Right. So I got, I got another one and it even has a follow up question. Uh oh. So. Abby attacks with two Golgari decoys, and Golgari decoys reads, among other things, it's a 2-2. It reads, all creatures able to block Golgari decoy must do so if able. Nate has, let's say, four bear cubs. How does Nate have to block in this situation? Does he got to put them all on one decoy? How does he do it? Oh, look at you with your attacking and blocking restrictions and requirements. All right, so the rules for blocking are... You have to satisfy as many of the requirements without violating any restrictions. So in this particular case, each Golgari decoy has to be blocked by, we'll say, four bear cubs. It, it was four bear cubs? Yeah, you have four bear cubs. Okay, so each each one basically, each each bear cub 
has to block both Golgari grave trolls, but it really can't. So it has to block one or the other. So as long as you assign, you say this bear cub blocks this one, this bear cub blocks this one, this one blocks the other one, and this one blocks the other one. That's fine. So as long as all four bears dogpile some combination of the two Golgari decoys, you're fine. Right. So so all four of my bear cubs have to block? All can four I, of your bear cubs have to block. Can I, can I just but, throw them all in front of one decoy? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, because what's happening is the each bear cub basically has to block a Golgari, uh, a, a, uh, both Golgari decoys. Okay. So you are satisfying the uh the largest number of requirements i mean you you basically can't satisfy both requirements one bear cub can't block both golgari decoys so pick one okay yeah. and and whatever your block is it has to satisfy the most number of requirements and in this particular case i can only satisfy four blocking requirements four out of the eight yeah no matter how i mix it up i can't do more than four yeah and and to add on to that a little bit is uh if if Nate in this situation had someone like Palace Guard that can block any number of creatures, he would have to block both because he can do it. The Palace Guard can. Yep. So I have a follow up. A follow up to the follow up? Ooh. Oh, that wasn't the follow up. So, oh. <laughs> so what what would happen though if I cast Deadly Allure on one of the decoys before attacking and Deadly Allure reads Target creature gains death touch until end of turn and must be blocked this turn if able. Uh oh. Does that change anything? Oh. Uh oh. Uh, so one of those one of those go one of those decoys now has two requirements and the other one only has one. Yes. So all of them bear cubs are just gonna dogpile the one decoy. Wow. That's sad. It is that is one dead decoy. Well luckily the de- yeah, well luckily the decoy only has two powers, so he's only taking two bears down with him. But that's but if they're bear cubs, that's half that's half your bear cubs. Yeah. That is yeah. a moral, that is a moral victory. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I only have one more question. So Brian, keep throwing questions at us. Oh. All right. I, I, wait, Jeremy, you got one? Steal one from, from, I'll, I'll throw out a shameless plug for the, the Facebook study group. Okay. <clears throat> Go for it. We, we can borrow one from, from David, David Hibbs. That was kind of fun. All right. There's some older cards, but, uh, if, if I cast, uh, the Mimeoplasm. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? And I, I exile a corpse jack menace and a ghoul tree, and I choose it to copy the, the corpse jack menace, and then it enters the battlefield. How many counters is it going to come into play with? All right, so let's pause for a second here. The Mimeoplasm reads, as the Mimeoplasm enters the battlefield, you may exile two creature cards from your graveyard. If you do, it enters the battlefield as a copy of one of those cards with a number of additional plus one plus one counters on it equal to the power of the other card. So in this case, it is copying Corpse Jack Menace, which reads, uh, if one or more plus one plus one counters would be placed on a creature you control, twice that many plus one plus one counters are placed on it instead. Right. And it's going to get 10 plus one plus one counters na- if, if we weren't, you know, naturally from the ghoul tree. The ghoul tree is a 10 10. So. <laughs> I guess I guess I will tackle this one. The answer is it's going to get 10 plus 1 plus 1 counters on it. And that's because the Corpse Jack Menace, its ability doesn't apply to the creature. It doesn't apply to itself because it is not yet on the battlefield. So its ability is not active yet. Uh, so uh, some, maybe similarly, if you had some... If you had some way to give Corpse Jack Menace Unleash and uh, you cast him and unleashed him, he would only get one plus one plus one counter because his ability is not active yet. It's not active in your hand or anything like that. Right. Or, or if you give it Undying. 
Yes, that's that's a much more relevant example. <laughs> yeah, if you were to give it on dying, same thing. When it's coming back to the battlefield, assuming you don't have a corpse Jack Menace, its ability doesn't apply yet. So, so unfortunately, your Mimeoplasm is only a fourteen fourteen. Only yes. Oh, yeah. So I guess bad news for you. Wanted you know it's EDH. I wanted a bigger one. Eh, I, I think you'll be all right. All right. It, okay. It'll be just wrath next turn anyway. Yeah. Doomblade. Here's here's <laughs> here's one. Uh, two parts to it. Yes, let's do it. Okay. Okay. So I control a Dryad Militant. Okay. Dryad Militant is a 2-1 that says if an instant or sorcery would be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile it. Okay. So the question is, what happens if I, what happens to the terror if I terror a Dryad Militant? Okay. Terror is destroy target non-black non-artifact creature. All right, I'll tackle this one and then let Jeremy tackle the next one. I, I get the lightning bolt. Yes, or whatever card. Hey, you spoilers. <laughs> oh, all right. So one of the last steps of resolving a spell is to have it go into the graveyard. That's that's the normal state that things are in. What happens when you terror? Because we're using terror instead of doomblade or any other more relevant card for today. What happens when you terror? For you. A uh, dryad militant is we do the text. We do the text of the spell. So we destroy the creature. So destroy the dryad militant. And then we put the terror in the graveyard because by the time the terror resolves, it is no longer – there is no longer a dryad militant to make the terror get exiled. Sounds good. However, Brian, give us your follow-up. However, <laughs> now let's change – let's change terror because dryad militant is a 2-1. Let's say I shock it instead. What happens? How does it behave the same way? Does it behave differently? Well, it's it's very different. Since does the same thing. It just kills it dead. Yeah, it does kill it dead, but it's yeah. a different result for the shock um, because of what's killing it. So, so the the way it works here is you'll do the two damage, and then the shock will resolve and try to go to your graveyard, right? But the militant is still in play because it's not quite dead. Just yet. What? See, what? See, it dies. It it dies when state based actions are checked. Oh. And that that doesn't happen until after the the shock is resolved, which means it's got to go somewhere from the stack, right? And since maybe the, still in play, <laughs> it can't go to the graveyard, so it gets exiled. And then once it's exiled and done resolving, state based actions catch up and say, "Hey, you you've got some damage on you and should die." And so it does. Sounds good. Yep. Sounds so, all right. So this is uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna credit James Bennett with this quote, who was on a, a few weeks ago, one of the the Judge App guys. His his email sig for a while was, "Remember, lightning bolts don't kill creatures. State based actions do." Yes. Um, and that is a good memory device for all you L1s and just 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 guys that want to know and tighten up your game a little bit better. The lightning bolt does not actually kill the dryad militant. The shock does not kill the dryad militant. The state-based action that res- that carts the dead bodies or carts the creatures off the field that has damage marked on them equal to or greater than their toughness. Yeah, and you you would get the same result if you do something like tragic slip or dismember on it for the same reason. It's going to be a state-based action that kills the creature, not the card itself. The card has to straight up say, I'm going to destroy you creature yep all right cj you got another one yeah this is my my uh my masterpiece of questions i really like this one so abby controls a great betrayal which i'll read off in just a second and attacks with a bear cub nate activates and blocks with an azorius kirun which we now know 
uh, an animated Azorius key rune is a 2-2 white blue bird. What happens to the key rune after damage is dealt? I mean, it's going to die, but what happens after that? So Grave Betrayal reads, when a, whenever a creature you don't control dies, return it to the battlefield under your control with an additional plus one plus one counter on it at the beginning of the next instep. That creature is a black zombie in addition to its other colors and types. Oh. So is Abby going to get this key rune back? Because that's crazy. It's not a creature. She is going to get it back. What? What? Okay, well, surely it doesn't get a counter on it, though, because... does indeed get a plus one, plus one counter What? What? But surely it's not black, too. Uh, turns out, uh, it is. (laughs) Yeah, that's... Actually, I had to double-check that one, too. (laughs) I was like, wait a second. Okay, but is it a zombie? It looks like it's not a zombie. It's not a creature. It's not a zombie. It is not a creature. But if you reanimate it, meaning animate it, it using its ability. yeah, using its ability, uh, using its mean, ability, yeah. does it become a zombie? Well, that would be my follow-up question. Does it become a bird zombie? Bird is it, is zombie. Zombie. That sounds like the greatest creature type ever, by the way. What bird zombie? Bird zombie. The white. It would be a if it got all everything hypothetically, it'd be white, blue, black bird zombie artifact creature with flying. Which that's a lot of things. Well, now here's the question: When you animate it. Is it still black? So what is it when you animate it? Okay, yeah. Well, that's that is the the follow question. So you, I asked it, so you guys have to answer. Oh, look at you! I'm oh. now wrestling with how to spell Azorius so I can look up the text on the card. It says Azorius Kirun becomes a two-two white and blue bird artifact creature with flying until end of turn. All right. So it's a white and blue. It will be a white and blue because uh, it will not be black. Because since it says white and blue, it does not say in addition to its other colors. So timestamps, we have we have one effect making it black, one effect making it blue and white. And you look at the timestamps, you go, which one's later? That one wins. So it's blue and white. Then you look at the setting ability. So one ability is saying, hey, I'm a zombie in addition to its other types. The other is just saying, I'm a bird. Right. So later timestamp is going to be a bird. Uh, in fact... It's it's going to be a bird no matter what here because cause even if it said bird in addition to its other types, when the zombie thing is applying, it is not a creature yet. Its type has not been set to creature. So zombie doesn't even apply no matter what. What? So if I want to be really mean, I can ask, why isn't this a dependency? <laughs> <laughs> well, now, hold on, hold on. So isn't isn't it, if it did say it becomes a bird in addition to its other types? Mm-hmm. It would be a bird zombie. No, because the zombie already applied, right? It tried to apply, but the but the key rune but was, not, a creature was not a creature yet. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, it can't get that that type because it's not a creature. Yeah, right, right, right. Okay, so you are correct. So no matter what, it's just a bird, just or an artifact, just a bird. Yeah, but a bird zombie would still be awesome. Bird zombie would be awesome. They they had bird zombies in like onslaught block. They had, didn't they have a goblin merfolk? I think so. <laughs> sure. And masks and stuff. A fetal vulture. Okay, so your question is, why is this not dependencies? <laughs> yes, which I don't know if we have to go into that, but. Because <laughs> we're not changing what the effect, see how to phrase this. Yeah. Dependencies are really hard to actually phrase. They are. It, the, the quick answer is because it doesn't, it doesn't fit any of the qualifications for something to be a dependency. Like, well, sure, that's yeah. so cheaty. That's a cheaty answer, though. <laughs> Thanks, CJ. So, you're Thanks. welcome. Yeah, it's not a it's not a dependency because it's not. Yeah, because there. people say so. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I understand it. It's not a zombie because 
or it's not a dependency rather, because the key rune ability isn't causing it to not apply or changing when it would apply. It's just the zombie ability tries to apply and does nothing. Yeah. It, it, and the key rune doesn't change that at all. Yeah, that sounds about right. I have another question now. Ooh, sorry. Because I looked up the only zombie bird in existence, which is a Fedo Vulture. Yep. It says... There we go. It's Onslaught Block, baby. It yeah. Three, it's a 3-2, isn't it? Yeah. It says, yeah. Flying, when a Fedo vulture, vulture dies, you may put target zombie card from your graveyard on top of your library. Could the Vulture put itself back on top of your library? Dies. Oh, man. This is the greatest zombie ever. <laughs> okay. I'm having to look up. Right. Get, the, get the text on it. The Efecto Vulture, when, when it dies. But target zombie on top. Yes. Zombie card, yes. yes. But we couldn't return the Codex thing. What's the difference? The difference is the Codex was you were having to choose the target for the Codex before you actually paid the cost of sacrificing the Codex. So the Codex wasn't in the graveyard at the time. This particular case, our zombie bird has to die. Die means goes to the graveyard from the battlefield. So it's there. It's in there. Wow. What's the difference in these abilities? I don't understand. One's a triggered ability. Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) What if if D-O-G, what if C-A-T spelled dog? Two plus two is five. Whoa. Stay with us, Brian. Mind blown. That's all the questions I have. What else? Do you have any more, Brian? All right, all right. So I got a, I got a few, here's, here's a, a, a cutesy one. I want to fling a, uh, blister coil weird. Okay. So let me read fling and then I will read blister coil weird. So fling. Wow, there's a lot of cards with the word fling in it. <laughs> um, fling is an instant as an additional cost to cast fling, sacrifice a creature. Fling deals damage equal to the sacrificed, cre- uh, sacrificed creature's power to target creature or player. Alright, so I want to fling Blister Coil Weird to your face, CJ. No. Yeah, and Blister Coil Weird says whenever you cast an instant or a sorcery spell, Blister Coil Weird gets plus one, plus one until end of turn, and tap it. So you're at two life, and I'm going to fling my Blister Coil Weird at your face. You dead, bro? No. I guess I can answer this one since my life is on the line. It's your face being targeted. Yeah. More ways than one. So there's quite a few steps to casting a spell, and we'll probably cover them one day, but the uh, the very final step is to pay the costs. One of the costs of fling is to sacrifice a creature. The other cost would be one in a red, which you can pay them in any order, by the way. So if that's the final step to cast the spell, then when the spell is actually cast, Blister Coil Weird is no longer on the battlefield, so its ability can't trigger, and therefore we need to use its last known information to determine how much damage is going to get dealt, and that damage is one because it's a one one naturally i'll get you one Boiled of these it. days i'll get you gadget <laughs> i used to ask this with a uh, kiln fiend i know that was that's uh that's a good in the old days yeah hey man when i saw blister coil weird i was like hey i can just take kiln fiend out blister coil weird in <laughs> suddenly it's returned to ravnica relevant yay hey. yay uh, yeah. Alright. Well, that's what I did with the Golgari decoys. <laughs> oh yeah, with our, uh, prize unicorn. Yeah, prize unicorn or taunting elf with lore. <laughs> you go. It's funny how this stuff, alright, alright, so here's a, here's a fun one. Firemines Foresight. Oh, this one's for you, Jeremy. Alright, Firemines <laughs> Foresight. Search your library for an instant card with converted mana cost three. Reveal it and put it into your hand. 
then repeat this process with for instant cards with a converted mana cost of two and one. Shuffle your library. Can I go? Can I go get Boom Bust um, with Mind Foresight? So Boom Bust is a split card. That's a crazy split card. It is a crazy split card. So Um, Brian, when you asked my head to the side to read it, when you asked me before the show if this works, turns out Boom Bust is a sorcery, and Firemind's Foresight only gets instants. So let's let's pretend it's an instant. Let's. Hey man. Hey. This is this is what I get for adding stuff last second without uh <laughs> reading. I think when I asked I was like, "Hey, I'm going to ask a I'm going to ask a Firemind Foresight question with with a split card." And CJ goes, "Great." And I'm like, "Boom bus cost 2, right?" He goes, "Yeah." <laughs> there you go. Question made. Yeah. All right. I didn't notice that it only got instance. That I'm going to blame the night. Yeah, and and Fire Ice is too easy, right? That Firemind did not have enough foresight. Didn't. No. Yeah, Fire and Ice is too easy. Oh, I am embarrassed. So let's, let's, uh, hold on. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find, I'm gonna find a split card. Find one? Find one? I don't We're not gonna just go to fantasy land? No. Is deal with, with cards that don't really exist? Is there, is there a splits card where half of it's an instant and half of it's a sorcery? Here we go, here we go, here we go. Yeah. Research and development. Yeah. Okay. So it's a split card that's an instant. And research is a green and a blue. Choose up to four cards you own from blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we don't I care what read. they do. And development is three, a blue, and a red. So I have one side that costs converted mana cost of two, one side that costs converted mana cost of five. Right. Can I get it? Can I, can I be all fire-mindy foresightful? Fire-mind's foresight. Converted mana cost three. Well, your three's not gonna find it, but your two, your two certainly will, or so it looks to me. So I don't just add those up? Well, see, the split cards have multiple converted mana costs, because they're multiple cards. Okay. So we have a, a converted mana cost of two for research, and five for development. So that's seven, right? Well, in total, but since one side matches the requirement, that's good enough. Right. So the game, the game asks, Hey, does this card have a converted mana cost of two? And it gets back both. I mean, the answer to it gets back yes and a no and it goes, yes, got it. Good. Now, one of the things that confuses people is they also hear, but wait, I hear that if I reveal this card with like a dark confidant, then I'm going to lose seven. I don't get to lose two or five. That's, that's the baddest of beats. Splain, <laughs> splain judge how, how I'm losing, how I'm losing seven when I should be able to only lose two or five by choice, right? And, and the reason is, is because the cards actually for Bob, uh, for Dark Confidant, it's saying you lose life equal to its converted mana cost. And you go, basically goes, what's its converted mana cost? And the game goes, it's two and five. So great. So you lose two and five life. Yeah. It's not two right. or five. Right. So in both question in both cases the 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 game the the game is asking hey what's it what's your converted mana cost and it's getting back both answers but based on what the question is really or what it's doing with that information depends on whether or not you whether or not you can consider it two or whether you're considering it's it's looking whether it's looking for a a yes no or does this meet this requirement versus how much so it wants a specific number or, or a total number, rather than do you meet X? Yup. Okay. <laughs> Preliminary seal of approval. Nice. Yeah. 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 Oh, here's one. What happens when I have Niv-Mizzet Draco Genius 
and then King Joffrey plays Niv Mizzet the Fire Mind. Mine wins, obviously. Why? So we're going like, well, yeah, because King Joffrey's uh, Niv Mizzet is obviously better, but mine's a Draco genius, and yours is just the Fire Mind. Yeah, that's true. That's that's so. So what happens? Do they go? Do they explode? No, nothing particularly interesting happens. What? How's that possible? But I can't have two Mizzet, two Niv Mizzets. What? Right? You can. They're legendary creatures. It's the same guy. The game only cares about what their name is, that they have the exact same name. This is partially why they never made a legendary werewolf, because it'd be really awkward. Because I could have the front side and you could have the back side and they wouldn't kill each other. But anyway, <laughs> that's that's another story. Another, a legendary double face card. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it only cares about the name. I think sometimes people think that the Planeswalker uniqueness rule and the legend rule are the same thing and they are not they are not re- they are not related they're just similar but in this case if you have two legendary permanents out and they both have different names and they're both legendary they can both hang out and that's just fine the game does not know that they're the same person this has come up with Kamal back in the old days in a chroma oh a chroma Whereas the Planeswalker uniqueness rule says that if you have two Planeswalkers out, that both have the same type. So Jace, if you have Jace the Mind Sculptor and Jace some other one that people like, they both have Planeswalker types of Jace. So once they're both out, they will somehow become not loyal to you and go to the graveyard? I guess, wow. I guess it just blows his mind. He's like, what the? Who? What? Jace? You are horrible. What? Yes. What? Hey. You're, you're the worst, DJ. You are. Not the worst. You are. Yeah. I might be the worst. So, so wasn't there, just out of curiosity, wasn't there a, a, a legendary dagger or something like that? Double face card? Elbrus like or something? In, yeah, like turned into some, uh. Elbrus, the binding, binding blade. Yeah, isn't that legendary? It is. It's a legendary artifact equipment, and then it transforms into a legendary creature demon. What? I never noticed. So you're still, so uh, you're still correct. They did not make a legendary werewolf because that would be weird. I never noticed they made but, any legendary ones, but yeah. I, but I can have, I can have my Elbrus the Binding Blade and you can have your Withengar Unbound. Withengar. It sounds like yep. you need an echo effect on that when you say it. You need the what effect? An echo effect. So it's Ethengar. There you go. Alright. Well, that's a little, that's a lot. Do we have email? Yeah. Well, I think that was fun though. No CJ segue that... this week. What's that? This seg- no CJ segue this week. No, this segue to you, uh, Brian is passing out from NyQuil. <laughs> yeah. So first off, Jeremy, if you know enough to know that we have a segue, you know what I want from you right now. Oh, oh, uh-oh. Uh-oh. don't do it. Don't uh-oh. do it. Do it. Prilliman says I can't. Prilliman is high right now. Oh, that's right. Okay. So it's, it's what, mail time, right? Yes. Or is it mail bag? I don't think we've been consistent. Just. All right. Mail time. Eh, I've had better. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so we have yeah. quite a few emails to go over because for our last two episodes, they're kind of special episodes and we did not hit on mail in, in the interest of getting them out as fast as possible. But we will try to get through these quickly. And our first email comes from Tony Schweigel. I'm not going to read his entire email, but I didn't notice this before we started recording this because I hadn't read this email in um, about 20 days. But he says, I've been listening to the show for a while now. You were looking for suggestions to improve the show, and I think I have one, at least one I would like to hear. My favorite part of the show is toward the end where you answer various rules, questions, and scenarios. I think it would be great if you if you would um, throw out a few practice rules questions, explain interactions, and go through the process. It would be kind of like some questions for a practice exam during the show. Hey. Hey. There you go, Tony. Hey, Tony. Hey, Tony. Hey, Tony. We got something for you. Yeah. 
Is is it Christmas time, Tony? I totally forgot. Is this is this why you wanted to do this show, Brian, or is it just random coincidence? No, it's actually it's actually kind of because we we were we were talking how we'd done some policy type episodes, and we like to kind of have some policy and some rules. So I was just like, "Hey, man, let's have like a a rules." I don't know, maybe. Tony, thank you. I'm go- we'll, we'll give Tony credit. Tony, it was all you. It's all you, Tony. This, this episode brought to you by Tony Schwingle. Schweigel. So, <laughs> uh, he also says, also I know how busy you guys are, but if you could put out more shows, that would be the best thing ever. And it's, uh, sorry, Tony, that's not gonna happen. We're gonna stay every two weeks. Putting out a show a week is, uh, it's a lot of work. Plus, I don't like CJ that much. Yeah. Nobody does. We're like all those those rock bands that just kind of, they only show up for the tour, but beyond that, they never hang out. They hate each other. This is this is why we keep having so many guests to, like, diffuse the CJ content. <laughs> is that why there's never all three of you together? Yeah. <laughs> it's really, yeah. Uh, all right. All right. The next one comes from Brian Randich. He says that he went to his return to Ravnica pre-release, but the TO did some some things that he felt were not correct, or he was confused about how they should be handled. So the first one was... In the first round, two matches. So this is the very first round of the game of the of the event. Two matches played incorrect opponents. So you know they didn't they didn't have slips because a lot of pre-releases don't have match slips. But basically, they just sat down across from the wrong opponent. The TO ended up giving all four players involved a draw. How would you guys handle this kind of situation? At regular? Yeah, regular. It's a pre-release. Round one. Yeah, round one. Just, just swap the opponents and yeah. were. Yeah, just just fix it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what yeah. I would do too. I would just swap the opponents. However. Okay, my guess is this 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 TO just didn't know that he could do that. Yeah, most likely. Or or just didn't want to be bothered. One or the other. Like we we can't assess his motivation. Right. Okay. But it's entirely possible that he just didn't know that was something he could do. Yeah. Or he just was like eh, draw. Right. So which is why I, I like to think it was the first one, not the last. I would like to think it's the first one also. Yep. So that's what we'll say happened. Yes. says, also, in the fourth round, the only match that went to time had just started its third game, with each player winning one game. Within five turns, the life totals were 20 to 16, and the player that had the life total was awarded the match win 2-1. Uh, he goes on to say some things, but does this sound correct to you guys? No. 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 When, so, when is it correct to do that? In, when is it correct? Yes. When In the single elimination rounds... Time. If there are some. In time right. elimination rounds, yeah. In time. So, like, basically, GP Grinders. Yes. The Friday is the only time that I've encountered that situation in the wild. Me too. P- PTQ topics here. We always time them. Oh, do you? Yeah, it's it's come up twice. And, and you know, that's fine. Like, if you have to be out by a certain time, then the TO might opt to make the, the top eight timed. Right. Sure. Yeah. Because the game has to. I mean, you have to have a winner. During during uh, the the single limb portion, but during Swiss, no, no, yeah. I mean there's nothing there's nothing stopping you from like you know oh one person's at twenty one person's at sixteen and then the person at sixteen just goes well I concede to you because you're at twenty right you know, there's nothing wrong with that that's perfectly fine perfectly legit that's but basically sweet. coming up and saying game over guy with twenty wins so what should the TO have done after uh, the five turns so assuming no concessions happened right. Um, he should have just marked that third game as a draw and then entered a 1-1-1 one, one, one result. 0-0-3. Zero, zero, no. Oh, 1-1-1, one, one, one. yes. Sorry, I was thinking of if, if it was an ID. It was an ID. That's not yeah. an ID. I know, I know, I got it. We got it. We're good. 
I'm, the worst. Hey, listen, I'm drunk on NyQuil right now. Oh. <laughs> I just woke up. Finally, he says... This episode, this episode dedicated to the good minute Vix. <laughs> Uh, he says, I don't think the TO was intentionally doing anything wrong, but who should I talk to if I have concerns about a new TO that may be doing things incorrectly other than the TO himself? So I'll, I'll just go through this real quick. I told him, well, of course, the TO. That's probably the first person to talk to. There's really no need to go to anyone else if, if you don't think they're doing it intentionally or anything like that. Some people just don't know. Uh, I also sent Brian links to the Wizards Play Network support website, the customer service, and a link to the Magic Tournament rules, where a lot of this stuff is spelled out. So, you know, if you just show the TO the Magic Tournament rules, he, he can get most of this information from it. I wasn't sure if there's anyone else that should be contacted. Do you guys have any other suggestions? Potentially a local judge. Yeah. You know, be able to help out, you know, a level one nearby. Just get him to, to come in and chat with him for a bit, you know. Yeah. Um, I've, I've certainly done that with a few store owners here. Just go in and talk to them and, you know, you can kind of give them a rundown on how events are run, some basics to look out for and, and things like that. All right. Yeah. All right. So our next email comes from Drambui. Oh, Andrew Quigley apparently is his name. Yeah. That's not as exciting. Uh, can I read this one? This one made me mad. Are, are you going to read the whole thing? No. Okay. No, as no, long no. as you're going to summarize it, yes, you can read it. I'm going to, I'm going to summarize. All right. So basically, Dram, uh, Dram Bowie went to the pre-release with his, I'll, I'll read the, I'll read the relevant. Sure. Went to the pre-release with his, with his girlfriend. Uh, she is very new. And while she was playing, uh, in one of the rounds against, we'll call him Joey D. Okay. In the, in the, uh, in the email, <laughs> she attacked with a 4-4 creature. Uh, her opponent, Joey D, blocked with a 2-1 and two 1-1 bird tokens. She said, okay. He asked her which creature she wanted to kill. And she said, uh, the 2-1 guy. Joe, Joey D smirked, <laughs> killed his one dude, whatever. At this point, I stepped in and asked him what just happened. He said he triple blocked. There's enough damage to kill her 4-4. Sure. Wanted to know why only one of his dudes died. Then another player said, no, you can, creature damage can be split up. And Joey D said, no, creature damage can't be split up. You only hit one creature. And then, like, smirked, had a smirk on his face. Okay. Uh, when, when the guy was like, no, that's not how it works. And the guy smirked. So, okay. So this is kind of a weird situation. We've got a guy that looks like he's taking advantage of a, of a newer player. Where did things go wrong? Where would you step in? How would you handle this situation? Well, so the first thing that jumps out to me is that a judge was not called and a judge should have been called in this situation. Like anytime right. anything weird is going on, a judge needs to be called. Yes. Right away. Don't, don't hesitate. Yeah. So here's, here's my thing. Okay. So the, the first thing when she attacks with a 4-4 and he block and he triple blocks. Okay. And he asks the question, which creature do you want to kill? Mm -hmm. Okay. Is that, is he doing, what's he doing there? Is he, is he, is that legal, not legal, what? Um, I'm a little conflicted on that, to be honest. Same here. I'm, I'm really on the fence with that one. Yeah. It is, okay. so to be clear, it is legal to only kill one creature if you wanted to. Like that, that right. is a legal thing that you can do. Technically, what they should be doing here is ordering blockers, but people rarely actually do that. And it looks like they just move straight to damage. So, my my opinion is that's legal. Yeah. Okay. It's it, it, it's not nice. It's not yes. polite, and it's it's not behavior that we want to encourage at a pre-release. Absolutely. And I might I might pull that guy aside and have a little chat with him 
about that competitive that's perfectly legal statement at a pre-release i'm still not happy with it no 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 but you're not gonna i mean aside from a talk yeah you know right now the question the question is when he makes the statement no creature damage can't be split up you can only hit one creature and then when someone's like, no, I don't think that's the way that works, and he gives the smirk, what then? Without being there, it's hard to say, but based on that, it, it feels to me like he knows what's up, and he's not telling the truth anymore. Right. So he's he is purposely he, he, misrepresenting the rule or lying about the rules of the game. Yeah, yeah. he has strayed into the very bad things area. Yes, and yes. he should be disqualified. Disqualified, yeah. So... To be very clear, though, it's it's really a you-had-to-be-there thing, and you have to be the judge that's called. Because, you know, we only have one side of the story here. Not saying Drambuie's not a good guy. Dram, the guy, his opponent's name was Joe Douchebag. <laughs> I think we can say... Why were you I, hiding it all show? And then, <laughs> I, Well, not all show. Okay. I think we can relatively say a guy with the name of Joe Douchebag is up to no good. Yes, I think that's fair. Very, very probably. Very probably. So... I mean, his knew what was up when he gave him that name. <laughs> yeah. So in any case, I, I yeah, call a judge. I, let's let's hop on to the next question. Yes. But I, I think we said everything we need to say. Jeremy, this one's for you. Okay. It says, hey guys, it's from Jackson Wayne. Hey guys, I've got a little question about Bazaar of Baghdad and Dredge. If I activate Bazaar and my only Dredger in my graveyard at the time is a Golgari Grave Troll, and then I decide to Dredge the Grave Troll in the graveyard, and I end up milling another Grave Troll, can I use the second Troll? To dredge the neutral, uh, and let me read a couple of these cards real quick. Bazaar Baghdad reads, tap, draw two cards, and discard three cards. For some reason, worth $265. I mean, that's card disadvantage. I don't even know what people are saying here. You're crazy. Gari, <laughs> you can only use Black Lotus once. I don't even get it. How's that good? Oh. So Gari Grave Show does a bunch of things, but mainly it has dredge six. Which the replacement effect is, or the uh, reminder text is, if you would draw a card, instead you may put exactly six cards from the top of your library into your graveyard. If you do, return this card from your graveyard to your hand, otherwise draw a card. So it is a replacement effect that could potentially replace drawing a card. Right, so it replaces you drawing a card with you milling six and putting the troll in your hand. Yes. Yes. So... Uh so he activates Bazaar, and he ends up milling another Grave Troll. Can he get that other Grave Troll back? Why, yes, he can. What? 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 So the draws, are, are they happen one at a time, right? And so we replace the first draw with mill six, put Troll in your hand. When we come to the second draw, look, there's a new Troll in the graveyard, so we can replace that with the Dredge again. Repeat this process, and then eventually mill your discard three cards probably the two trolls and something random yeah yeah yep so that works all right all, all relevant information conveyed yes go <laughs> the next question is from aaron fleisch he says hey there enjoy the show just started listening and i'm going back and listening to your earlier podcast found out you started in sacramento which is where i am now i think you're all split up now or something i'll talk about that in a second uh-huh. so i was uh-huh. building this brew with undying evil and I thought that if I put put that on World's Power Worm, what happens when it dies? So World, well, let's start with Undying Evil, which is what target creature gets Undying. Undying. Yeah. So let's Undying. World's Spire Worm. Fifteen, fifteen. Trample when World's Spire Worm is put into a graveyard from anywhere. Shuffle it into its own to owner's library. Oh, and it leaves some dudes behind when it dies. <laughs> yes, it leaves three five five green worm creature tokens with trample when it dies. Just some dudes. It was just relevant. Some dudes. Yep. So what happens when uh, Undying Evil ends up on World's Fireworm? Well, you have two triggers. Mm-hmm. 
that both want to go on the stack when, so after Worlds, uh, Worldspine, uh, Worm is put into the graveyard, we have both the Undying trigger and then it's when it goes to the graveyard trigger, both wanting to go on the stack. And because you control both triggers, you get to decide what order they go on the stack in. So you what if, can, what? What if you don't control both triggers? Oh, if I don't control both triggers. So like if I, give it undying you control my world spine worm and i give it undying and then i kill it uh yeah then, yeah okay so active players triggers go on the stack first then non-active players triggers go on the stack in any order that the non-active player chooses to put his triggers on the stack if he has multiple and then they resolve uh your explanation is correct but if you undying evil if i undying evil your creature you're going to control the trigger because the creature gains undying Whatever. Oh, so but so how would but your point gets across? Yeah, we could we could yeah. come up with some way of doing it. Nike, blah blah blah, Nike, 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 Nike. I don't have the card in front of me. That's lesson number one. Everyone listening to this, read the card. college judge. <laughs> read well, not obviously not because I was just like, yeah, I'm dying. Blah blah. blah. <laughs> um. Uh. Yeah. Read the card and also don't card. say Nyquil before you uh <laughs> judge. Right. Right. So call a judge. Yeah. So, and to give a very brief history of Judge Cast, since he thinks that we are still the original people, it was originally started by Sean Catanese and Ricky Hayashi uh, way back when. By the way, this is episode 50, you guys. That's pretty sweet. Five. We forgot zero. to make a big deal about that. Oh. <laughs> How did, how did I get here to ruin your 50th episode? That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is episode like, 50. We should have done something special, and it was it was like literally like five minutes before we started recording. We are like, hey – 50 is like one of those arbitrary numbers that people assign importance to. We should probably <laughs> something. Oh, well. Oh, well. So over time, uh, Sean Catanese, also known as Seacat, and Ricky Hayashi, also known as Rick High, added Rick. Jose Boveda to the podcast. After about 35 episodes or so, roughly, Sean Catanese became level three, and he became regional coordinator of the West. I don't know. What exactly? Southwest. Southwest? Alright. Yes. And once you become regional coordinator, your time to do judge cast gets pretty rough. Like, you're very busy regionally coordinating. So it kind of dwindled a bit. A while after that, both Jess Dunks and I, well, actually Brian Prillman tried to resurrect it, but we won't talk too much about that show. That one never got posted. <laughs> after that, Jess Dunks and I both expressed interest in bringing the show back, and Sean was like, well, here you guys go. And so we did, and then a little bit, it was only like three or four episodes later that we added Brian on as a permanent co-host. We had had him as a guest twice before we added him as a per, as a co-host, so. The, the unreleased episode of Judge Cast is, is like three and a half hours of penis jokes. <laughs> Alright. Hence why it's unreleased, yes. yes. It was, uh, it was not a, not a success, not a, not a success. So, <laughs> our next question comes from Lee, a rules advisor in Northern Kentucky. I said that because he actually said how he wanted his name to be read on the air, which I kind of appreciate. He says, hey guys, love the show, and I've got a question and a half for you about everyone's favorite new four drop, the Desecration Demon. For convenience, the Oracle text reads, look at this guy. This guy's fantastic. At the beginning of each um, up <clears throat> combat, at the beginning of each combat, any opponent may sacrifice a creature. If a player does, tap Desecration Demon and put a plus one, plus one counter on it. He's saying, am I correct in reading this as two separate triggered abilities, the first triggering at the beginning of the combat step, and the second only triggering and being placed on the stack if a player chooses to sacrifice a creature? And then he goes on to have some other questions, but actually I'll just go ahead and tackle this one in the sake of moving on. 
The quick answer is no. It is not two different triggers. Uh, you could tell if it was two different triggers if A, there would have to be a line break or something like that, or maybe this trigger sets up another delayed trigger later on, would have two separate triggers, although not happening simultaneously, but there has to be some kind of thing to show that. Also, a trigger is only denoted with the words win, whenever, and at. So this card says at the beginning of each combat, blah, blah, blah. And it says if a player does tap Desecration Demon and put a plus one, plus one counter on it. Uh, what does that mean? If is not a separate trigger statement. It, it is not another trigger. So one of his main questions was, does he get... Does anyone get priority between when someone sacrifices a creature and when the demon becomes tapped and gets a counter on it? And the answer is no. No one's going to get priority because that's all one big trigger statement. Oh, this one. <laughs> oh, I think I'll tackle this one too. <laughs> this one's tough to do on air. The uh, next question oh, is... the two-player two comment. Yeah. Yeah, good luck with that yeah, one. This next question is from Aaron Fleisch. Uh, basically, he read an article that said if you have two flares of the hate bound and unburial rights, you could just win the game. And so here's how I'm going to just explain how it works because he's just confirming that it works. And hopefully this will all make sense. So we have flare of the hate bound in play with no counters and flare of the hate bound in the graveyard. You unburial rights the flare of the hate bound in the graveyard, which brings it back and triggers both flare. Oh, I should read flare of the hate bound, shouldn't I? It has undying. And it also says, whenever Flare of the Hatebound or another creature enters the battlefield from your graveyard, that creature deals damage equal to its power to target creature or player. So, you reanimate the one in your graveyard, brings it back, we have two Flare triggers. You have the two Flare triggers target each other, or they could target themselves probably, it's not a big deal. And then we go ahead and resolve the first trigger. What that does is kills that Flare and puts Undying on the stack. So the stack right now is top is Undying, second step is four damage uh, to the other Flare. You go ahead and resolve the Undying trigger, which brings that flare back with a plus one, plus one counter and causes two new triggers. So now the stack is five damage targeting your opponent, another five damage targeting your opponent. And then we have that initial four damage targeting that flare still on the stack. Because when new things trigger, they're always put on the top of the stack. You don't get to order them within the stack if anything is already on the stack. Oh, man, this question. You guys excited? You guys having fun with this one? Oh, just, you know what? Oh. I never should have read this, but no. But here, but Michael, I'm almost Michael, done now. Michael. I'm so fading in and out. <laughs> so you have got to finish it now. You got to finish this. Yeah. So you resolve the five damage dealing five to your opponent, then resolve the next five damage dealing five to your opponent, and finally you have that four damage that's been on the stack forever now, killing the original flare. It has undying, so it's going to come back, trigger both flares, and you're going to to deal five more damage twice to your opponent, dealing a total. <sighs> Of 20 damage. Yay, math. Yay, math. You know, I had more things to say about this, but I that's good enough. <laughs> if you have... You got through it. Just move on. Yeah, if you have specific <laughs> questions about it, email us. But thank you for that, Aaron. All right, finally, a mail from Christopher Meyer. He has just asked us to pimp this charity he is part of. It's called Extra Life. It is a 24-hour gaming marathon that occurs on October 20th. He says that... Don't better, get this, better get this podcast out soon, then. Yeah. Oh, it'll be out in time. Yeah. He says that donations are given from sponsors of the gamers, and all proceeds go to the Children's Miracle Network. And then specifically, uh, funds that would be donated to his particular account will go to the Women and Children's Hospital in Buffalo, New York. He just wanted to ask us to mention it and put a link in the show notes for this, and I would be a real jerk if I didn't. So I have now mentioned uh, it. It's, it's for sick kids, man. Yeah, I know. You kind of ha you kind of have to. Kind of have to. There's some obligations here. So I know. if you're interested in donating for that, I've actually heard of Extra Life before. It's been going on for a while now. So 
It's not just some, it's not like the George Cassanda People's Foundation where this guy's just trying to make his own money. So yeah, everyone should donate to that. All right. One last email. We're almost there. All right. All right. This one's from Microsoft. What? What? Microsoft. It says, awesome. we are happy to notify you that your email address has been awarded 750,000 British pounds in our Microsoft email promo award 2012. Whoa. What? I get a cut of that, right? Cash credit what? to your file, ref no, I'm not You're a host. Yeah. Okay, your secret, oh, well, we can't give our secret pin No, that's code. ours. We just got 700,000 pounds, which, uh, is, each pound is 1.5 US dollars. Yeah. So that's 1.2 so million dollars. We're rich. We are rich. Now so, you can do uh, cash every week. Or, well, or, hey, CJ, yeah. if you won that much money, since we have that much money, what are you going to do with your money? Uh, not going to podcast anymore. Oh, way, way to make everybody sad, CJ. <laughs> Actually, the sad part is that's, that's the end of the show, Jerry. Donks, 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 donks. <laughs> Sometimes it's easier to know what you're going to put at the end. What? Oh, are you recording that? Yeah, I record. The conversations just record automatically. Donks, 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 don